We hit the big go switch, and it turns on uh, the Rural Radio Network and another edition of Midday here on the network, and glad to have you along with us. Uh, and today we find, Susan, I, I, I think that you're... That, any place but here is not necessarily the place to be today, Susan. I'm sorry. I know. That's kind of what I got. You know, when I saw the memo go out with the Thanksgiving meal being served, it was like, ah, darn it. Yep. But that's okay, because I get to have lunch with some great people in ag, so, you know, yeah. it's not the same as eating with you guys, but it's a very close second. Okay. Well, they always do a good job here, and we'll make sure that we keep plenty. I think you'll be around for Friday, so we'll keep some uh, in the uh, in the freezer, and we've got a brand new microwave, so it should be just fine. Sounds good. I'll, I'll be a happy camper then. <laughs> right. It is, uh, as we move ahead, uh, just so you know, folks, the, the memo went out about the big, uh, it's a it's a, a potluck uh, Thanksgiving thing going on here at the station today, and the, the smells are wafting through the air here. I have managed to constrain myself to just two crackers full of the, uh, of the cheese dip so far. Just two crackers. Just two crackers full. Yeah, sorry. I'm pretty impressed. Uh, thank you very much. I'm watching my girlish figure, you know. Somebody's got to. <laughs> yes, and if anyone knows me, see, that's the advantage of being in radio. No, no one knows what this figure looks like. Okay, Susan, let's uh, let him have it on uh, what's going to be taking place as far as the leads in today's ag world. You bet. Coming up at 1245, the, everybody was excited to hear a livestock producer yesterday when word came out that a waiver's been granted on the electronic logging devices. A lot of concern, a lot of we don't know what we're supposed to do, especially when you're hauling livestock. So we're going to dive into that at 1245 with the Assistant Vice President of Domestic Affairs and Council at the National Pork Producers Council. 1219 is our update from the great folks at Water Street Solutions. And then if you're looking to take a little trip, 117, we're going to help you fill up your calendar. Pete McClimate with the Nebraska Cattlemen talking about a trip that they're taking to Australia. And they're looking to bring some producers with. I doubt they're going to be looking at sheep while they're on this trip, by the way. You doubt? I doubt. <laughs> I just have a feeling probably not a lot of sheep farm visits with the Nebraska cattlemen. But if we find out more, Pete is going to talk about that at 117. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Susan. We appreciate it. And it's uh, Brandon Bennett's over here on the sports desk. Though Jason is out of the studio, he will be back in to be able to do uh, our news here at the midday, he'll be talking about the final day of the state high school football finals. The Huskers chase for yet another Big Ten title and what was supposed to be a rebuilding year for the Husker volleyball team, but they're they're in the title hunt right now. And, of course, a Heisman hopeful who has been punished and will continue to be for his actions last week. Mm, okay. Mr. What? Baker Mayfield made an obscene gesture to the opponent's sidelines last week and is getting... Uh, is getting uh, punished for it you can't do that no especially not as a Heisman no. guy. and uh, Bleacher Report just broke the story that uh, if Kirk Ferentz the head coach for the University of Iowa wins on Friday mm-hmm. he gets a 2.4 million dollar bonus in his buyout well <laughs> so I don't know who wants to win on Friday I would imagine that there's going to be a very very evocative speech <laughs> it's going to be an interesting game in so many ways yes. Friday here we go with uh, Bob Brogan and our business news. Stocks are a little bit higher in midday trading on Wall Street, putting major indexes on track for more record high closes. U.S. home sales rose last month, and uh, they're studying that vote on the Keystone Pipeline uh, to see whether they actually voted on the route public hearings were held over. An endless story, and more and more coming up for you on midday. 
Paul Perkins is in here, and um, it took me a while to keep my teeth to stop chattering just coming in from a parking lot today. Especially after what we saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. We got spoiled with some temperatures into the upper 60s in many locations today. Not going to see that whatsoever. Uh, temperatures right now in north central, northeast Nebraska, currently in the 20s, 22 right now on the chilly end of things at O'Neill. Yep. Ag weather is brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. Otherwise, we do have some 30s from about north central into much of central and east Nebraska. But if you're south of I-80 and uh, southwest Nebraska on into the southeast, on into northern Kansas, temperatures right now in the low and mid-40s today, much colder behind the passage of a cold front. Our winds today strong out of the north and temperatures not expected to rise a whole lot more for today as some strong high pressure pushes in from the north with a reinforcing shot of some cold there. High pressure settles in over eastern Nebraska tonight. That'll help to drop off the winds and allow the temperatures to plummet on into the teens and the 20s. A ridge of high pressure expanding east across the plains for tomorrow into the late week. So a sustained warm-up on the way. Temperatures warming up quickly for tomorrow. And then for Thanksgiving and Black Friday, we are looking at highs in the 60s and some 70s. That would be up near record warm territory. Weekend temperatures cool down behind the dry passage of a cold front. Still going to be mild for November, though, in the 50s. That high-pressure ridge migrates east back onto the plains for the first part of next week for a slight warming trend. And it looks like these mild temperatures are going to stick around for quite a while. In a long-term forecast, a good likelihood Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be warmer than normal Sunday through the first four days of December. Our precipitation forecast starts out with below normal amounts early next week. Then we transition to above normal precipitation the later part of next week through December 4th in Nebraska and Kansas. And with that above normal temperature forecast, it will probably fall more as liquid than the white stuff. Australian forecasters now predict there's a 70% chance of La Nina by the end of the year. Climate models suggest that it will be a weak and short-lived La Nina. La Nina effects can include above-normal precipitation in the northern third of the U.S. and lower amounts in the south. Colder temperatures can also occur as you head farther north. Weather factors affecting market decisions include improving rain chances for northern Argentina and a dry trend in the southern plains. Periods of windy weather and snow will affect the Midwest and Northeast the next few days. Thanksgiving Day should feature above normal temperatures from the Pacific Coast to the plains and upper Midwest, while cool conditions will prevail from the Gulf Coast into the Northeast. Thanksgiving Day precipitation looks to be confined to the northwest U.S. and lower southeast. Dry and warm conditions in the southern plains are starting to affect the winter wheat. Good to excellent ratings are notably lower than last week, especially in Oklahoma and Texas, where topsoil moisture is rated about 65% very short to short. More drying this week expected as temperatures soar to about 30 degrees above normal. Harvest progress in the eastern Midwest remains sluggish due to wet fields and more light precipitation this week. The biggest delays in Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. Harvest in the western Midwest will finish for many because of drier conditions. Argentina and northern crop areas in need of rain are likely to see moderate to locally heavy rain this next week. North and central Brazil also in line for moderate to locally heavy rain this week to benefit their soil moisture levels. Southern Brazil already with adequate to surplus soil moisture.
All right, weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. I've got to tell you one thing that uh, as far as the weather is going, we are very consistent in our inconsistencies here, aren't we? This is up and down and up yeah. and down and up and down. It looks like we'll be on the upswing for quite a while starting tomorrow. Just uh, have this little bump in the road for today. So luckily these cold snaps not lasting as long as they were in the previous weeks here. That would be nice. And I know a lot of those Black Friday shoppers are going to like to not have to get up to 30 mile an hour winds. Exactly. No, shouldn't be too much chattering in those on uh, those lines early on Friday morning or, of course, Thursday night. (laughs) Waiting for the doors to open. I did that one time. One time. That was enough for me. I drove by and saw and said, nope, not for me. (laughs) I'm not doing that. When you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. their waiver. I'm Kaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network with a midday check of your ag news. The U.S. Department of Transportation has granted drivers who haul livestock a 90-day waiver from a regulation that could have negative effects on animal well-being. And Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs and Counsel with the National Pork Producers Councils, says he's encouraged by this step that the full exemption will be granted. They're taking comments on the exemption request uh, right now, and that comment period will end November 30th. But what, what they did yesterday is I believe they realized they're going to have to give us the exemption. And it would just be unfair to wait until December 18th to give the exemption. So when it became obvious, they announced that uh, we're going to get the waiver now while they finish working through this process. And and they've got a couple of of other things that they're going to do over these these 90 days. It's it's actually about 120 days going from from yesterday at the 90-day starts on December 18th. The DOT recently issued an interpretation intended to address shortcomings in its hours of service rules, exempting from the regulations and from any distance logging requirements truckers hauling livestock within a 150 air mile radius of the location at which animals were loaded. The department soon is expected to publish guidance on the air mile exemption. An Associated Press report says Monsanto went before an Arkansas judge on Friday to ask the court to stop the state's plan to ban dicamba use from April through October. Dicamba has been a source of complaints for farmers across the state who say the product has drifted to their fields and caused widespread damage. The state's ban on dicamba is expected to go before a legislative panel for approval next month, but Monsanto says the action is necessary because farmers are already buying the product for the next growing season. The company said in its court filing that the ban severely limits Monsanto's ability to sell its new dicamba-tolerant seed and low-volatility herbicide within the state. Monsanto says every day the ban remains in effect costs the company sales and customers. The state has received almost 1,000 complaints about dicamba drift damage. The request to stop the ban was added to a lawsuit Monsanto filed last month against the state board's decision in 2016 to ban the use of dicamba. And the cost of this year's Thanksgiving dinner is the lowest since 2013 and second lowest since 2011. Susan Littlefield has more for us. According to the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual price survey of classic items found on a Thanksgiving dinner table, the average cost of this year's dinner for 10 is $49.12. That's 75 cents less than last year's feast. Director of Market Intelligence at the Farm Bureau is John Newton. He says that the price per pound of a 16-pound turkey plays a major role in the total cost of the meal. 
Wholesale turkey prices are at their lowest level since 2013, and given that the turkey represents nearly 50% of the baskets total, it's the biggest factor driving the price decline. Turkey prices came in this year at $1.40 per pound. That's down two cents from what we saw last year. We've seen lower commodity prices across all of agriculture that has led to relatively flat retail prices. So we see here the Thanksgiving dinner has declined for the second consecutive year in a row and is really paced with the food consumed at home CPI index. The trend in the cost of a Thanksgiving dinner over the past few years has been slightly lower. Newton says that's good for consumers, but not for farmers and ranchers. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. That's a quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check up on the farm's books. We're with Tim Burhill, Ag Finance Advisor, Water Street Solutions. Tim, how can checking on the books now help with plans for the next crop year? As you wrap up harvest, you're likely focusing on planning next year. There's a lot to think about in regard to input decisions for the upcoming crop year while getting a clear look at the overall financial state of your farm. You want to find out the level of success that you've had during the past crop year and get projections in place for the next one. But that's only as good as the accuracy of the numbers being used. Essentially, if the source material has missing, incomplete, or inaccurate information, it's not possible to transform it into helpful insights for decision-making. This is why your farm books are so key. But during the busy seasons like harvest, the books can sometimes become neglected. They can fall behind or develop gaps. But when you keep them accurate and up-to-date as possible, that can make a big difference when it comes to getting helpful perspectives for your farm. An example would be before fertilizer even hits the field, we're evaluating the economics of those agronomic plans. In some cases, that changes the agronomic plan, but that leads more towards a more successful crop year in 2018. What difference can it make when you stay up to date? We all know that waiting until the very end of the calendar year to get the books in order for your tax accountant doesn't allow you to get as much out of them as you really could. At that point in the game, you're often too late to make a real impact. So I want to ask the listeners, what's the current state of your farm books? Are they organized? Are they accurate? Are they kept up to date even during the busy seasons? Now here's a big one. Are you able to get information out of them that you need or even want? Too often, the only reason books are done at all are for taxes. But to a farm leader, they can be so much more than that. So take some time to evaluate the level of detail and completeness that's found in your books at any given point during the year and start with today's current picture. Here's another major driver for your farm books, the person who's in charge of handling them. On the farm, they're often a family member or an employee or perhaps even you as a farm leader. No matter who it is, they need to be a good fit for that job. And what I mean is that their skills, talents, and passions need to line up with the job description of what it means to be a great bookkeeper. Well, Tim, what are the most important attributes for that job? Bookkeepers have to be able to deal with a large amount of detail while being very precise and accurate. So the person handling the books needs to actually enjoy things like working with spreadsheets, going line by line through tons of numbers. They need to be able to focus on this for long periods of time. Chances are, if those things don't come at least somewhat naturally to them, they might try to avoid bookkeeping tasks. The numbers may not be ready, they may not be organized or up to date until very late in the game and maybe not even at all. 
it could even become a real struggle to get information from your bookkeeper. When the numbers do become available, the books might be so incomplete or disorganized that it could lead to major inaccuracies. And of course, inaccuracy is not what you want when it comes to the farm books, especially when you're using that information to understand how you did this past year and create a forward-looking projection for next year. As you wrap up harvest, please take some time to think about the current state of your farm books. What actions can you take to increase the accuracy in the organization of your books? If you find that you and others on your farm may want some assistance with that, you can get in touch with our advisors, including our Water Street accounting specialists. And if you want more information about this or any other topic, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today we've talked on Checking Up on the Farm's Books with Tim Burhill, Ag Finance Advisor, Water Street Solutions. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jordan. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the state high school football finals are continuing today in Lincoln. At halftime, it was Norfolk Catholic with a 14-0 lead over Boone Central Newman Grove. Later on this afternoon at 2.45, it's a C2 final as UTAN squares off against Centennial. And tonight at 7.15, it's a Class A finale as Kearney battles Omaha North. Well, Nebraska enters the final week of the volleyball season, needing two more wins to clinch at least a share of the Big Ten title. NU is looking for back-to-back Big Ten championships for the first time since joining the league in 2011. Now, NU plays at Northwestern tomorrow night at 7 Central. The Huskers will finish out the regular season against Iowa on Saturday. At this time, they are tied with Penn State as each team has just one loss in conference play. The UNK volleyball team is headed back to the NCAA Division II tournament. UNK is the third seed in its regional and will take on sixth seed in Missouri Western on November 30th in Marshall, Minnesota. Now that is a rematch as those two teams just met last weekend with UNK knocking off the Griffins for the MIAA tournament title. Now the tournament this time around is being hosted by Southwest Minnesota State. UNK is looking for its first win in the NCAA tournament in five years. Well, the Husker football team continues to work out for its last game of the season as they will host Iowa on Friday. NU is looking for just its fifth win of the season. They'll be taking on an Iowa club that's been up and down. They were good enough earlier this month to knock off Ohio State as they punished the Buckeyes and ruined their national championship hopes. But then the Hawkeyes turn around and lost to Purdue last weekend. Kickoff on Friday in Lincoln is set for 3 o'clock Central Time. And Heisman hopeful Baker Mayfield will not start for Oklahoma this weekend against West Virginia. He will also not serve as a team captain for the first time this year after his actions of last Saturday's win against KU. That is a check of sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. And Jason just got a final score now. Norfolk Catholic has defeated Boone Central Newman Grove for the C1 Championship. Final 35 to nothing, Norfolk Catholic. Sunny today with a high near 41. For tonight, mostly clear with a low of around 18. And then for Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 58. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Governor Pete Ricketts was getting suggestions on how to reduce taxes during his statewide radio call-in program on Monday. One Panhandle listener who owns property in Nebraska and elsewhere says he puts one-third as much in property taxes for his Colorado property than he does for his property in Scott's Bluff. 
The listener says one difference is Colorado counties are allowed to levy sales tax. And, um, you know, if uh, we added on the county sales tax that allowed us to reduce other taxes, that could be something that uh, maybe is more manageable. It certainly, again, I'm willing to sit down and talk to, to uh, legislators who have different ideas on how they want to make that work. Ricketts is interested in the so-called 50-50 plan offered by S- Senator Steve Erdman. But he says Erdman and supporters need to be able to answer some basic questions about it. That plan would have a $1.1 billion impact on our state budget. That's about 25% of our budget. And so the proponents of those plans really have to say how they're going to uh, accommodate that in our budget. Are they going to raise taxes to be able to pay for that? Are they going to cut expenses? And, and just to put that in perspective of how big that is, you could wipe out all of my agencies, and that gets you about halfway there. You could wipe out the University of Nebraska, and what the state gives to the University of Nebraska, and that gets you about halfway there. The Nebraska Public Service Commission approved an alternate route for its section of the Keystone XL pipeline by a vote of 3-2. to two. Commissioner Crystal Rhodes was one of the nay votes. The federal and state agencies that conduct, conducted studies of the proposed route but the route that's being approved here today is a different route. Quite simply, the mainline alternative route was not the focus of that intense study. It was the last obstacle that needed to be approved to construct the new pipeline, which will be linked up to the existing Keystone One pipeline. Many local residents, environmental groups, and Native American groups have tried to block the project, and they could still challenge this decision in court. President Trump gave the go-ahead in March. Two Democrats running for Kansas governors say they support the creation of a statewide office to handle complaints about government practices. The Wichita Eagle reported that Democrats Joseph Sfady and Carl Brewer said they support establishment of a state auditor position after a Kansas City Star editorial on Sunday proposed it. The move is opposed by Republican candidate and Secretary of State Chris Kobach. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free at the App Store or at Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Livestock haulers have been granted a 90-day waiver on the electronic logging devices regulation. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Michael Formica is our guest today to visit with us about that. He's Assistant Vice President of Domestic Affairs and Council with the National Pork Producers Council. And Michael, this news just coming down yesterday. And so talk to us about, this is something we've been following along with on the livestock side of things that really could have been detrimental to livestock callers and the well-being of animals more importantly so talk to us about what yesterday's announcement means sure thank you um so there are two things they they could have done they could have granted us a waiver well there's three things things they could have done nothing they could have granted us a waiver or they could have granted us an exemption and when i filed the petition with um dot we asked for both the waiver and an exemption they can grant a waiver at any time up to 90 days which is what they've done without having to go through a formal rulemaking process where they put it out for make a notice and put it out for the public to comment and weigh in and, and go through the formalized structure um, they are actually in the process of doing that as well there's a they're taking comments on the exemption request uh, right now and that comment period will end November 30th but what, what they did 
yesterday is I believe they realize they're going to have to give us the exemption and it would just be unfair to wait until December 18th to give the exemption. So they, when it became obvious, they, they announced that uh, we're going to get the waiver now while they finish working through this process. And, and they've got a couple of, a, a couple of other things that they're going to do here over these, these 90 days. It's, it's actually about 120 days going from, from yesterday at the 90 day starts on December 18th. It'll go through March 18th or so. So the waiver very encouraging then, and you're hoping that this is a sign moving forward that the exemption will be granted? Uh, I, I think so. So the first thing they're going to do after after they uh, officially put out the, the waiver information is they'll release guidance, um, a set of uh, proposed guidance documents on what the hundred what the current 150 air mile exemption means and the 150 air mile exemption is a provision that Congress created and put in the last transportation bill that exempts um, exempts agricultural um, haulers um, so anyone hauling an agricultural product from the hours of service rules uh, during a planting and harvest season um, those those seasons are are defined by the states. They vary from one state to another. Some states recognize them all year. Some states only recognize them for a few months a year. But the uh, those that that exemption is broad. Um, means you don't have to comply with the hours of service rule when you're within 150 air miles. Um, FMCSA DOT never imagined that there would be a segment of the trucking industry that would be on service, exempted service, so would be out of service during the course of a day, and then might go back into service and then back out of service. And under this congressionally created exemption within the 150 air mile, once you pick up an agricultural commodity uh, or you're within 150 miles of the source of an agricultural commodity, um, you're, you're exempt exempted so you could pick up a load of pigs drive them you know 300 miles so the first 150 you'd be exempted the next 150 you'd be covered drop them off pick up another load of pigs and now you're going back into exempted service and none of the ELTs were designed to allow for that to happen there you're either on or off and once you're off you're off for the day and because of that they're in they're in a bind um, that there's this congressional mandate that their program doesn't comply with. Um, and so they're going to go through and create guidance on what exactly the, the congressional mandate means. And then, you know, once they do that, um, then that will also give them time as they're finishing the exemption request. And, and I expect we'll get the full exemption. So definitely a little bit of a sigh of relief for livestock haulers, something they have been working hard on in the livestock industry to get something in place. This is very encouraging, as you said. Anything additionally while I've got you on the line today, Michael? Sure. It's um, you know it, it's it's great that they, they granted this. We were very appreciative of it. It's been very clear throughout you know the process that um, livestock and, and hauling and then agriculture hauling Overall, um, even if you're hauling, you know, corn or strawberries or, you know, crates of oranges, um, 
is a is a small set a very small segment of the larger trucking industry and is just not something that they've ever thought of separately they've never spent much time dealing with it and so it's been it's been um, an education for the department of transportation um you know the usda has been very helpful in this process the trump administration has been wonderful to work with they've uh, you know at the white house they understood the problem immediately and, and we're very uh providing a lot of assistance to us and so it's been uh, it's been a interesting few months here working this uh working this issue and we're thankful that they granted us the granted us the waiver and realized that uh, this was something they had not planned for Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs and Council with the National Pork Producers Council, visiting with us today about that waiver that has been granted to livestock haulers regarding the electronic logging devices regulation. And for more information on this, head on over to RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, and we talk next with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, a little uh, reverse today. Uh, cattle higher and hogs lower. So just the opposite of yesterday, and uh, uh, it started out uh, kind of benign, and then uh, things got a little bit more uh, active uh, as the day kind of progressed. Uh, heard some cattle trading at 118 and. Uh, down south and a uh, little bit more aggressive uh, tone to the market. Uh, cutouts were higher at noon also, and that helped. Uh, and grain was uh, lower at the start, and that uh, prompted a uh, nice recovery out of the feeders at the same time. So uh, triple digit, some triple, triple digit gains today in both uh, cattle and feeders. So uh, a complete opposite of yesterday. Uh, over in the hogs, same thing. Complete opposite of yesterday. Triple digit losses uh, appeared today, uh, and we were under pressure. I, I would say majority of the day. It just uh, relentless uh, selling. Uh, cutouts were a little lower at noon. That didn't help much. Hogs, uh, cash hogs, seemed to be steady. Maybe just a fraction lower too. Uh, and it looked like uh, we were just kind of liquidating whatever we did yesterday. So. Uh, very uh, quiet day expected tomorrow and uh, Thursday, uh, unless we have uh, some big cash uh, trading. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter the first two days this week, estimated at 240,000, 5,000 more than last week, and 8,000 more than a year ago. Hog slaughter, 924,000, 5,000 less than last week, but 33,000 more than one year ago. Dewey Nelson reporting. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Pete McClymouth, Executive Vice President with the Nebraska Cattlemen, is going to tell us all about that today. And Pete, this is not your first trip overseas, but the first one for the Nebraska Cattlemen to Australia. Give us some of the details on what you guys will be doing here. Yes, thanks. So this is fun for us. This is the third year our members have decided to tour different parts of North America, Europe, and now Australia. So uh, from April 28th through May 10th, we've got a really cool wide range of activities 
to go to Australia, so it will be late fall there. The weather will be beautiful. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope people want to take part of it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime trip that we've helped organize. Now, go over what exactly you'll be doing while you're over there. I know Beef Australia is one of the highlights. Kind of walk us through what you'll be doing when you're in Australia. Right. So the trip will start. They'll fly out of Omaha, and they'll go to Sydney. And from there, they'll start heading north on a bus bus tour up to Gloucester and New South Wales to see some cattlemen, look at uh, large herds of uh, commercial as well as uh, grass operations for pastures for the ranchers. And then they'll go up to the New England region of New South Wales in the country. And so uh, the University of New England is the leading ag university in the country. And so there'll be some Hereford and Angus breeders uh, that they'll visit along the way as a lot of uh, animal geneticists. And so from there, go up to Darling Downs in southern Queensland to also visit producers there. And then they'll go into Brisbane, and it is a beautiful city. And then uh, then they'll head up to Rockhampton, where the uh, Beef Australia happens every three years. So three days there. And so bottom line is those are the main stops that people have the opportunity to visit and see all the great things that Australia has. And the exciting part is people can join the trip if they want, but they need to be getting in contact with your office. Yeah, I would encourage people to contact our office. And one of the things that makes this trip really unique and specific to understanding uh, beef producers, as well as anybody, is that Graham Mitchell is an individual that has connections to the states and Nebraska cattlemen. I've met Graham. He's an outstanding person. He specializes in ag tourism. So he puts a really good balance in there for agriculture as well as the great tourism opportunities that Australia offers. So and then to have the personal connection to NC, past president Jeff Pribino and his lovely wife Connie are going to be the host couple for this. And they are very fun people. They'll have a blast uh, hosting this tour. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And so, Pete, what is the best way to get in contact with you guys? Do you have a deadline on when they need to be doing this? Well, obviously, we would like to have responses from those that wish to attend as soon as possible. So the bottom line is they can contact our office and get the background information. They can go to our website. Uh, Mike Fitzgerald in our office, who runs our magazine and does a great job, he's spent a lot of time working on this. So we can be a great resource in people's thought process if they want to go on this great once-in-a-lifetime trip. Pete McClymouth, Executive Vice President of the Nebraska Cattlemen, giving us details on their trip to Australia this upcoming spring. If you are interested in this trip, we've got details on how you can get in contact with the Nebraska Cattlemen at RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network reviewing the grains trade today. Can you say boring? Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. It usually happens this, this time of year, uh, Thanksgiving week, guys out of the market, uh, trade volume low. Today was no exception. Yeah, no exception. Quiet, but, you know, I think supported, and that's uh, what we want to see. We'll have uh, probably another day of slow slow trade tomorrow, and then into Friday we'll get those export numbers and, you know, kind of, I think, get ready for December once the harvest is now behind us. Uh, I guess the news of the day, and I'm, this is not a typo, uh, radioactive um, news out of 
Russia that there's some sort of nuclear accident happened a couple of months ago, and now it's just kind of leaking out. So there was some short cover, I think, on on wheat markets in that uh, off that news, but uh, very little else to talk about uh, as I snicker at that. Okay, now soybeans normally the day before and the day after Thanksgiving usually rally, don't they? Yeah, there's some good historical data on that. Uh, you know, tend to, to see a little bit of share. I wouldn't be shocked to see us give another $10 run here. Um, you know, I think if you look back at where we are uh, compared to a year ago, we're about 15 to 20 cents higher. And the carryout for next year, the projected carryout is actually a little bit lower. So um, I think the market here is, is kind of not buying what the USDA has to say, especially on uh, the forward carries. We tend to see that decrease as we get into 2018. And uh, this early first quarter will be where we see, I think, the bulk of the exports as uh, South America will kind of everything will shift from there to up here. So I, I don't know if we'll go directly to that 1030 level on the November, but I do think we'll see it at some point. So, you know, folks, that's a, a good decision point for, for everybody, I think, at that level. If you're going to plant a lot of beans next year, rotate over the beans, might be a good place to hedge. I mean, it did, it did work out that way a year ago that those forward sales you made in February pretty much stood up all year. Tend to think that that was an anomaly that we will see some sort of weather problem in either here or South America over the next 300 days. But uh, for now, I think we're just focused on supply, and um, you know demand is is increasing, but it's uh, a supply story right now. We had two straight sessions, Friday and yesterday, where corn rallied somewhat. Is that a sign traders are covering short positions? Yes, and I think they're covering in December. You have options expiring on Friday. So if you are looking for some fireworks, that would be one reason. Uh, so December will go off the board Friday on the close. Uh, I look for 350 probably to have a pretty good uh, strike as far as uh, the amount of open interest around it. So, uh, you know, I think short covering is the key here, but I wouldn't buy into a rally. I think if you, if, you're, if you need to move product here before the end of the month, I think this could be an opportunity if you do get a push-up closer to 350. Thanks for the comments, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. For more, go to danielsagmarketing.com.